Hi, welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and educator Clay Patrick McBride. Clay has spent over 20 years photographing some of the top musicians and athletes such as Jay-Z, Metallica, Kanye West, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant, to name a few. Clay's work has appeared in publications such as Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated, XXL, as well as shooting campaigns for Nike, Pontiac, and Boost Mobile, to name a few. Beyond shooting some of the biggest artists, Clay has worked as a photographic educator at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and currently teaches at RIT in Rochester, New York. In this interview, I speak to Clay about how he got his start and what the keys to his success have been. Clay is someone who has an incredible passion for photography, so it was a real pleasure getting to speak with him about his work, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. All right, Clay Patrick McBride, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sitting down with me, man. I really appreciate it. Stoked to be here. <laughs> yeah, Thanks definitely. for having me, Alex. Yeah, yeah. I guess just to start off... Um... I guess this is my first real official podcast. Oh, wow, man. I feel special. You get yeah. your first podcast? I've blown off quite a few of them. <laughs> wow, thanks so much. I feel special, man. <laughs> uh... But when I heard you did Larry Fink, I was like... I hope I'm episode, he's nine and I'm 10 or something like that. So. Flex. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this to start off, like where did you grow up and like what kind of stuff were you into as a kid uh, growing up? Was it always photography or what, what kind of stuff were you kind of into growing up? Right on, yeah. So I grew up in uh, Sullivan County, New York, which is uh, lower, I guess, downstate from here, Rochester. And um, it's a pretty rural area and uh, I had... I guess I was most influenced by my older brothers and sisters. They were real into rock and roll, Led Zeppelin. And I remember hearing Black Sabbath for the first time at my friend Doug Blakesley's house, you know, and he put the needle on the record and it was like, I am Iron Man. And I don't know, something happened, you know? So um, definitely the 70s, definitely my uh, older brothers and sisters. uh, Can I get the headphones turned down just a little bit? bit. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I just sound really loud. That's fine. And... uh, so muscle cars definitely the country you know um but at the same time i couldn't wait to get out of where i was living yeah you know, i wanted to get somewhere city where there's some stuff going on definitely so um mtv influenced me my brother is a professional magician he lives in las vegas his name's jeff mcbride he's like the michael jordan of magicians and he's got a mystery school and he yeah. teaches magic and uh, so i was into magic as a kid I was into performing. I like to be in front of people, a group of people. Nice. So were you the youngest of your siblings? Youngest of four kids. Oh, yeah. wow. And mm-hmm. so did some of your siblings, were they playing music or this kind of... Listening? My brother played drums. My, my sister just had an insane record collection. And, you know, it was the 70s, so they were like cleaning pot on 12-inch records. I was like this little mascot kid watching them. Yeah. And they were like Jim Marshall pictures and uh, Bob Groon pictures and pictures that I would end up years later... You know, I show work at the Morrison Hotel Gallery, so yeah. I, I show work in the company of these legendary rock photographers, so wow. that's rad. That's awesome, man. Um, so I guess, like, how did you get into photography originally? What was kind of, like, kind of earliest memories of uh, photography, I guess? Um, I don't remember it, but my my best friend, Derek Crew, tells me that uh, we were at a thrift store one day, I picked up this camera, and I said, I'm going to become a photographer. But I know it came from this. I lived at this rich woman's house. I rented like a little apartment there. Okay. And she was a photographer. And uh, every day I'd walk up this flight of steps where she had all these frame pictures. And I would just think to myself, like, 
this is good, but I could do this. I could do this better. Wow. And there were no people in her pictures, and it didn't make sense, you know? So to me, it was like something was really missing from what she was looking at in the world. And yeah, so I got this camera. I was in like a community college in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Okay. A place called New Hope, and it was a very picturesque place. And you know, I did what you do. I wandered the streets, you know, like Lee Freelander or something, taking pictures of my reflection and old ladies and the pizza guy and whoever was around. And um, yeah, that's like where it started. I had a wonderful teacher. She's now deceased. Her name was Judith Taylor. And she told me that I was good at it. And I don't know if I was good at it or not. Gave you, she, that motiv- she, gave you that motivation. That's all I needed to hear. And then she said, you know, you could study this. And I said, what? She said, no, there's colleges for photography. And yeah. I, I was like a kid who was, you know, kind of lost, a rebel without a clue when I was a little kid. And when I picked up the camera, it became like a compass. You know, it just became like a container yeah. for a lot of difficult feelings I was having and stuff. So um, I went to Europe for a while. I studied painting and... Yep. Uh, with these hippies in the south of France, and it was beautiful. We'd go out into the landscape with these little backpacks and yeah. uh, paint this mountain that Cezanne painted all the time uh, in Aix-en-Provence. And I had a great time there studying art history and sculpture and some other things. And then I came back to the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Okay, so when you were in the south of France, were you, you were going to school there? Yeah, I was studying at this uh, Institute of American University. It was basically like a you know, you're abroad school. Okay. How was that kind of experience? Had you been out of the country at that point? I've been to Europe before, but this was different. This was living in Europe. This was riding a Vespa. This was driving to the, to the Campania, the, the country with my friend, um, Michael Green, who, uh, had a Duchevaux, this very French convertible car that was mm-hmm. yellow. And, um, this, this was a whole different thing because I was a part of the place, you yeah. know? That's really cool. So at that point, you were studying painting, but you were also taking pictures too at that point? Yeah, I had gotten um, a little money from my uh, grandmother's estate. She had passed, and I bought a Mamiya 645 and a Polaroid back and a couple lenses. And uh, yeah, and I would, um, you know, I had tripod and stuff, and I, I was pretty serious about it, but like, I really think you have to take like ten thousand terrible pictures before you take a good one. Maybe know? more, maybe more yeah. than that. Maybe yeah. At least more for me. <laughs> uh, and, and I was doing that. You know, I was seeing things. I was seeing people, and I would use those pictures years later in collages and stuff. But yeah, um, but they were they weren't. You know, I didn't know what I was looking at. I was just kind of looking at everything, just wandering around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What kind of stuff were you photographing at that point? Were you photographing people? Um, I love weathered faces and gnarled hands. Okay. You know, whenever I can see it. A worn out man that's face looks like uh driftwood i'm gonna ask him if i could take his pictures oh yeah you know? and uh a lot of architecture you know beautiful sunsets whatever was around me my buddies you yeah. know i was traveling with a couple great dudes both named john and uh um john decola and and john withers whose father invented the post-it so this kid had some oh, yeah he had some bank and uh <laughs> And he had a car, too. He had an Austin Mini. And, yeah, we just had the time of our lives. And we knew it. Like, I knew some... I was 21, 22. Wow. And I knew that it would... I was 21. And I knew it to be like it was never going to happen again. I was old enough to appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it was magnificent. So then after France, you said you um, went to SVA? Yeah, pretty radical change going from the south of France to New York City in the 90s. You know, it was still pretty dangerous and weird i was living in hell's kitchen and uh we had this family apartment there and um so that transition was rocky and um 
but the school was cool. You know, I liked the people. I had a great teacher named Curtis Taylor who still teaches at the School of Visual Arts, and mm-hmm. I'm still in touch with him. And he, he's been a great hero and a mentor to me and a great friend. Um, and he's a wonderful underwater and garden photographer. So um, now he's doing some really cool work that looks like daguerreotypes of... He invented a persona. It's so cool. He invented this, like, turn-of-the-century persona, and he's doing this homoerotic work. And... Uh, so like Nadar or somebody like that. Wow. Like he invented this whole character and he shoots these dudes now. And uh, it's cool to see his work change over the years, you know. Do you feel like going to school for photography was um, really valuable for your career? Um, what do you think you most kind of got out of like going through that experience? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one thing you get from school is you pay for relationships. You know, it's like a mafia you join. Like <laughs> I, invite, I invented this RIT mafia thing, but it was like the SVA mafia before that. Okay. Me, you know, like you pay to become part of a community. But, you know, what a, What school is is a container. And it's like like alchemy. It pours you into this container and then there's a fire and then there's deadlines and there's four years and there's this acceleration. And yeah, I believe in it. I don't think, I think everyone's got to find their way. Mm-hmm. And with the amount of learning that's happening online, like I just filmed some creative live episodes over the summer and, uh, you know, there's so much information that wasn't there. You know, when I studied photography, it was like a black art yeah. and you really needed to know some stuff mm-hmm. or your results were going to be fickle and weird. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's different. The digital camera has really leveled the playing field. Everybody can get good pretty quick, yeah. you know, with some moderate Photoshop skills, you can do a lot of stuff. And, uh, I do believe in education and, uh, you know, the people I met there are still in my life today, whether they were students or professors or, you know, even the custodians there, and yeah. the guys who watch the door at Definitely. school, like when I show up there, they're like, Clay, how you been? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a community. And, uh, you know, that part of New York, Gramercy Park, where, where SVA is located, it's like, that's just, it's a part of me. Yeah. You know, I walk those streets all the time, even still. And, uh, this it's, it's a real part of me. This so, me- memories. Yeah. yeah. I kind of feel the same way coming back to RIT. It's just like, it's weird going back to somewhere where you have like those experiences. Cause like going to school for me, I think it's, there's no time in your life where you have that much time to focus in on one thing. Cause once you get out and you're, you're trying to make money, it's like, uh, you're not surrounded in that environment so much. You're out on your own. And it's pretty amazing just to kind of be in that world where you're talking to different photographers and learning about their kind of craft. It's, it's definitely unique. And I think it's pretty yeah. awesome. And I could say a couple more things about that, you know, like, uh, done a lot of artist talks recently i went back to my grad school at the um with katrina eisman at the mpsdp at the school of visual arts which is a master's of professional studies in digital photography i went there because i wanted to be a better educator yeah i wanted because i studied analog in school and i wanted to be more up to date in today's practices and technology so that was a great program her and tom ash they're both rit alumni and uh they're doing a stellar job running this program it's small and uh intense so um so I went back there to do an artist talk and I, I show my work from my third and fourth year of school still. I like yeah. to show people where I started and uh, there's something so radical about that work and so bold and uh, so angsty and, um, you know, it was all scratchy, collage sort of fractured cubist portraits I was making at the time and it was real Gen X. It really looked like New York City and the time yeah. that I was creating in and... Uh, you know, I, and I see it a lot, you know, like Guns N' Roses made use they, Appetite for Discretion. They could never write that record again, you know, and like a young artist, sometimes 
their first body of work, Robert's Frank's Americans, is is, is another example yeah. of someone who's just got such a fresh eye. And uh, and I encourage my students to think that like maybe this is the most intensely creative and personal work they could ever make. You know. Yeah. So like when you're in school. Did you kind of already have like a vision in mind or like a goal of the kind of photography you wanted to be like, or were you even, even thinking about that? Like what you're going to do after? Yeah. Well, you know, the work I made, I mean, I hate these words, these silos that we put stuff in fine art. Yeah. But I was definitely making some very personal work Mm -hmm. and very, um, work that would be more appropriate for galleries than magazines. Yeah. But I didn't see myself... I didn't understand the gallery world. It seemed inaccessible, and I was kind of more of a guy who was influenced by MTV and yeah, and popular culture. So I wanted to be a part of like the urban landscape. I wanted to be like to me the ultimate goal was to have a Tower Records used to have these transparencies, these big Duratrans album covers in their window. Yeah, and it would be like a wet night in the city, and you'd look at these album covers, and they'd be reflected in the watery street, and that to me was that was like the Sistine Chapel of photography. <laughs> yeah. So that was the goal. You know, I wanted to work for record labels. I wanted to work with rock and roll bands. I was, you know, in a band for a little while. And that was, to me, the ultimate goal. And it happened pretty quickly. You know, like uh, yeah. I got out of school and, and I, you know, I got lucky with a couple introductions to people who took a fancy to me and they understood that I was going to work hard for them. And a guy named Larry Fremantle, Atlantic Records. And, you know, a couple other people were really gracious yeah so were you shooting a lot of music stuff while you're in 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 sva yeah and sva had a couple assignments um for like spin magazine i I, they picked up a picture that i'd done on a naked male nude body and it really fit this editorial on aids and how aids moves through the body yeah and so that was exciting because spin was a hot magazine at the time Mm -hmm. and uh and i also had worked for guitar world i did a uh, collage eddie van halen which to me I was working with someone else's pictures, but I was commissioned to do a cover of a magazine. So that stuff happened in school. And, uh, but it was a lot of like baby steps, you know, and before I was actually in that window of Tower Records and a part of that. Yeah. World. What is it that you always, like enjoyed about shooting music? Because I know it's been always, looking at your website, it's a large part of what you've done over your career. What is it that you like enjoying working with musicians and what is it you think kind of draws you to it? Mm-hmm. Well, one, it's... Uh, there's something about, I guess, the way I approach it, and not everyone approaches this way, but, you know, there's a, a, an authenticity to it, and there's a realness to it. So to me, it becomes about kind of matching an image with a singer-songwriter style, whether that be Nora Jones or somebody as crazy as Metallica. You know, it's yeah. like you you have to kind of create a picture that you can hear in a way, yeah. you know? Like, so you're, in a way, um, presenting them to the world and celebrating their their spirit, their artistry, and their music, you know? So to me, I only want to shoot music. Like if I'm in a studio and I'm waiting for some, you know, fashion girl to get hair and makeup for two hours, I'm like a bull in a china shop. I'm just restless. I want to take pictures. I don't understand. She was pretty when she walked in the door. (laughs) You know, why do we have to put all this time and energy into something that is easy anyway? Yeah. You know, to me, music's a little bit harder because you have to, um, you have to interpret it in a way that's uh, that to me is authentic to the image that already exists. Or sometimes you're creating an image because an artist is 
a newbie and doesn't really have the gravitas that some yeah. people have. So. One thing I was going to ask, like, uh, personally, I've never really shot too much music. Um, when you're working with musicians, because they're artists themselves, do they a lot of times have input in the photos or does it kind of vary with the artists or how does that kind of go? Because, I mean, being that they're creatives themselves. Yeah, I, I don't know. I tend to run the show. Yeah. You know, like sometimes there'll be a collaboration and, and maybe you'll send a location for approval. Like I'm thinking of shooting in this mansion. You know, it kind of fits the regal vibe of your record or it feels haunted and gothic and, you know, your music is kind of haunted and gothic or yeah. it has like... Or, you know, this raw industrial space has, like, the gritty music. You know, so you get sign-offs on stuff. But, um, you know, I don't know when I did the, the pictures of of Jay-Z in the Oval Office in 2004. You know, like, um, it was... They, the magazine approached me with a simple idea. They just wanted to do them at a podium. Yeah. You know, with the microphones and the presidential seal. And I showed him a picture that uh, this guy, Piotr Sikora, did of Chris Rock that was identical. And I said, you mean like this picture that was of the cover of Vibe three years ago? Yeah. I don't know. That's a great idea. I said, I have something more in mind. Let's see if we can get the money, you know? And they just all signed off on it. And uh, it was amazing, you know? Like, I, I made those pictures and Def Jam Records, you know, it was when Jay-Z became president of Def Jam. So it was uh, 2004. It was before we had a black president, yep. you know? and uh, Yeah, it was an amazing crew because it was like Jay-Z, LeBron, freeway Memphis, memphis yeah. bleak uh mm-hmm. it was a whole crowd um yeah because at that point because you guys built a whole set yeah. and it looked pretty close to the white house yeah it looked pretty had you done a lot of like set building and stuff at that point when you kind of did that shit? I, I definitely had been around a lot of it yeah. you know but um i never have been a part of a fifty thousand dollar set before <laughs> or since and i'm i encourage and invite one back into my life at any time but um but they used it. It was interesting. Def Jam was smart. Jay Z is very smart. So they used it as a, uh, as like a press release yep. for his declaration that he was going to become president of Def Jam. So when I was there, and I'd love to find these pictures, you know, like Reuters and AP, everybody was there. You oh, know, it BET was... was there. MTV was there. All the publicists all the publicity was behind me. Yeah. So at certain points, there are probably 150 people in this room okay. all poaching pictures over my shot that were posted the same day on, 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 you know, I have very little behind the scenes images of the day, which bums me out, but uh, yeah. they exist, you know? So, um, what can I say? Uh, so that was something that they just, they just rolled with. And yeah, we built it at pier 59 mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we built it in a day, we shot it in a day, and it was tore down that same day. So it existed for less than 24 hours. We had looked at some different sets. There's some sets for like the Oval Office and different movie sets, mm-hmm. but it was impossible to get that cast yep. of people um, to a location like that. It had to be New York City. So, and then I said, Jay, yeah, yeah. I said, um, why is LeBron here? You know, like, uh, is he going to make some music? And he goes, <laughs> he goes, nope, I got reach. That was his answer. <laughs> I was going to ask that. I was like, yeah, why is LeBron there? I guess, yeah. but throw him in there. It's LeBron yeah, James. Might as got, well. He's got reach. <laughs> he's got clout. Yeah. Um, when you're like shooting those photos, because they've become like so iconic, like uh, when you're shooting that, did you kind of feel like it was going to be something special or did it, uh, that didn't really take effect till after? Because now that it's been, I've seen them so many times and they're yeah. so iconic. I, I definitely knew that we were. Um, writing a piece of history, you know? And I knew after the fact when I got letters from, like, the KKK mailed to my house. Wow. I had pissed some people off, you know? So um, 
and that made me very happy. You know, like if I could take a picture that really aggravated somebody, yeah, uh, I've done a good job of something, especially yep. that. You know, like changing social consciousness or in a way, like. I don't know. I like to brag about it. Like, it's like alchemical. I planted the seed that like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, whatever. I like to like make, because I believe, you know, I'll, I'll be dead a long time. Those pictures will have a legacy. To oh, them. yeah. Like, like they, they are like a great contribution to hip hop and to Jay's life and a great celebration of a time and a place that could never happen again, because Def Jam's just never going to cough up 50 grand to build a set and not ask to own the pictures like i own those pictures that's amazing and they help me pay for my grad school you know they sell that one of jay and kanye sells like butter it's just it's it's sweet you know yeah that's pretty amazing um i guess to go back a little bit like when you're an sva were there like any photographers you kind of looked up to like when you were kind of starting out yeah i love um Frank Ockenfels, he went to SVA. I looked up to Danny Clinch. I met him early on. This guy named Joseph Coltise. Mm. Um, I love Matt Mahern. I met with these guys early in my career, and they none of them took me under their wing. They all just said, you're good, go shoot. Yeah. You know? And uh, none of them encouraged me to be an assistant. Um, a guy named Anton Corbin, who shot a lot oh, yeah. for Amazing. Rolling Stone, is one of my heroes. Uh, what do you think about like someone like, I guess, Frank Ockenfels? What about his work do you kind of like... Well, I love, you know, Frank's a friend. I had the pleasure of teaching his son oh, wow. a couple summers ago at the uh, SVA pre-college program. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like trying to teach Michael Jordan's kid how to play basketball. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know? Like, the so, bar's been set so high. Yeah, the kid's been on every American Horror Story set. And, and yeah. you know, hungry shooting and, you know, Prague. And so, but great kid. And uh, it was cool to reconnect with Frank. Um but what I love about him is, uh, one, he did collages that I really responded to. Two, his subject matter, you know, Tool, Soundgarden, you know, Kurt Cobain. That was, those were the dudes that, those are the pictures that I was looking at when I was in school. That, and like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, um, three, uh, he has such a, such a signature look to his printing and his toning and his, uh, you know, the printer who does his work. I forget his name, but, uh, you know, just 100%. Um, stylized vision you know yeah he seems view like camera view camera view camera you know i love yeah. the view camera i've always respected his work because it seems so cool he it seems like he just has a lot of fun with photography he's not afraid to just try something new like i saw like he, he'll just use like a broken lens to see what it does yeah in fact i was talking to him about that he goes to trade shows and he finds moldy lenses and yeah. he's like how much you want for this and he's like ah it's moldy and yeah. he's like exactly you know so yeah yeah, from even from looking at your work too, the thing um, I've never met you before, but this from looking at all your stuff on Instagram and then your website, it, you seem kind of similar in the sense you're not afraid to try different things. Like that thing you just showed me with like uh, you're doing with the gold leaf and yeah. whatnot, and it seems like you just kind of you're not afraid to like just have fun with it and see where it goes. Like it might fail, but you're just throwing stuff up against the wall is that kind of how you kind of look at it? This yeah, well, to me, I mean, yeah. It, it, the, to me, like making art is this, you know, and it's it's not a happy place most of the time. You know, I always say it's like trying to wash a goat in the bathtub or something. You know, mm. I, I go into like a dark room and I'm just wandering around, tripping over shit. And like with my hands out, I'm trying to find the wall, you yeah. know, and and like once I found the wall, I'm just running my hand along the wall and trying to find the doorknob. And then when I open the door and the light comes in and I feel like I've gotten somewhere I've never been before. Like, there's got to be some getting lost to it, or you're just, like, cut and paste in the same stuff, you know? Like, the most stylized people in the world 
mad respect for Martin Schuller, mad respect for Annie Leibovitz, but they just are cookie cutters of the same shit over and over again. Yes. And that's like, that's something that I think has kept my career smaller. Yeah. Um, because I don't have that Platon sort of look. I don't have that Perry Dukovich kind of color. You know, I'm not like guy who wants to just be set up the Octobank. And yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and just be that thing. And, uh, and I'm more restless and I want to, I want to learn and I want to go somewhere I've never gone before or just change it up. And, uh, so, that's a you know something I, I struggle with you know yeah one thing I always ask people is like uh, being I mean photography you're an artist you're creative but at the same time you're trying to make money and run a creative business have you ever felt like you need to balance like your artistic vision while still like trying to run a commercial business do you feel like you need to create work that's gonna appeal to clients or like how do you kind of view that mm-hmm. yeah I've never been a, you know like a guy like Nadar can Nadav Kandar, right? He's a great example of somebody who, you know, goes to China and photographs the river and, and, and uh, has a, a real relationship with personal work, you know, like a lot of my personal work, I, I would never show the public, you know, like, so I've never used personal work to, to sort of perpetuate my career. Okay. Um, not really. I mean, I photograph a lot of my friends and people coming over my studio and it's like, it's not an assignment and it's like low pressure and it's fun. And those pictures end up on my site and in my book and whatnot. But, but I'm not a, uh, yeah, that, that question is weird. I mean, yeah. you know, like when I went back to art school, I guess in, you know, I, I don't know, uh, 2012 or something you know when I went back to get my graduate degree I thought I was going to become a different commercial photographer and I was going to start cutting masks and compositing pictures okay you know and I ended up just making work in the subway of New York City I you know it's like all the things that I was good at in school they lighting and shooting with a medium format camera they took them all away from me they encouraged me to shoot with my phone or they wanted me to work on things that uh they wanted to take my comfortability away from me. And I appreciated that at the time I was very resentful and angry and was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know? <laughs> but, um, you know, later I appreciated it and I made work that I, that was, you know, that works on my site. That work is, uh, is, is dear to me. And it's kind of, I went back to where I started, where I was just, I bought a camera. I didn't understand a Fuji XE one, mm-hmm. you know, I started shooting. A lot of the stuff was out of focus, low shutter speed, and I was like, cool, this is how their good pictures are going to look, you know? Yeah, that's cool. And another thing, like, do you feel like it took you a while to kind of, like, create the aesthetic the way you shoot? Like, are you conscious of it while you're shooting? Has it kind of, like, evolved over time? Is it, like, even something you're thinking about? Like, Yeah, I had this great client early in my career. He worked for XXL, the hip-hop magazine, when it just yep. started to break. His name was Don Morris, and he, I'm still very good friends with Don. And Don would call me up, and he'd be like, hey, I want you to shoot this guy. And I'd be like, all right, who's this guy? And he'd be like, it's Nas. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you what do you want me to, you know? Well, he's into knowledge. I'm like, all right. And then he'd say, just give me some dope photos and hang up the phone. It's pretty broad. <laughs> you know, just give me. So that's, to me, I was like, I just want to make some diesel dope photos. And yeah. then I heard 50 Cent say once, you know, like dope sells itself, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to create some dope, strong, like if your pictures are strong, the crackheads are going to come right back for it, you know? Yeah. They're hiring you to do your thing, so they kind of trust you at that point. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, I I don't know what... I just don't want it to look dated, you know? Like, 
to me, sometimes I'll set up a softbox, I'll start shooting, and I'm like, ah, oh, it looks tired and old. Like certain Octobank with diffusion on it will just look old to yeah. me. It looks like, and I love them, Mark Seliger. It's just like that same sort of really slick, good-looking kind of light, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess like when you first started getting out and you're like working with clients and stuff, those early assignments, like do you remember your first assignment you got? Well, there were some small ones, you yeah. know, like some simple ones where I just go to the public theater and photograph a comedian and nobody was around. Okay. You know? Like this, I work for this uh, gay magazine called Out. I photographed this woman named Margaret Gomez. It was a lot of fun. And uh, years later, I reconnected with her. It was cool. But like my first big job was for Atlantic Records. And it was this guy, Larry Fremantle. And it was for a band called Collective Soul. And I just happened to be in this junior art director's office. And I was showing him my work. And nice kid and all but this kid couldn't even hire me if he wanted to you know he was like working on billy joel's greatest hits and he wasn't in the position yet to hire photographers yeah but larry stuck his head in the office saw my book and said can i can i borrow this for a minute he said i'm gonna ship it to memphis i was like all right it was gone my book was gone and um very quickly we we're talking about a job in memphis and for some reason i thought the job was in nashville and i produced a whole job in nashville i got assistance and location and and then a couple of days before the job, I was like, oh, Memphis. And I had to like rearrange all my production. So Whoa. I made a lot of mistakes, you know? Yeah. That, that job gave me hives. Like I literally had hives all over my body. I was so stressed out from that shit. And, um, and then I was, you know, traveling with Larry on these you know, little planes going down there. And, you know, he would just tell me about other photographers and tell me why I work with them. And, you know, the thing he kept saying was like, you know, Danny's great because it gives you a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, he's talking about Danny Clinch and uh, I was like, well, what's a lot? And, you know, he's like, you know, 10 setups, you know, and I was like, all right, cool. So he's kind of grooming me, you know, this guy just like because he knew that I didn't have a ton of experience. Yeah. He knew he was sticking his neck out, but he was that guy. OK. Who was, you know, at Atlantic for 17 years and willing to stick his neck out, you know. And uh, so, you know, I got down there and I just shot the lights out. I worked as hard as I could for this guy. And he's a big guy and he's a Leo. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like a like an art football coach. He's just going to push you. And uh, I think we worked like 18, 20 hours that day. And I, you know, I just shot till the band was over it. And uh, wow, yeah, view camera, you know, and it was all cross process and it was seven emulsions and you know it was everything was crazy you know back then did it take you a while to kind of get comfortable to like working with magazines and stuff like like you said the kind of any like early failures like shoots that were like a big turning point where you kind of you know learned something from uh, yeah i mean um i think one of the most valuable things we do at rit and i'm sure you remember is you write this evaluation at the end of it you know yeah. so like Every player at a good game, you know, has a good game, a bad game. He's going to go home and watch the tape and he's going to think like, oh, I should have, you know, I should have taken the outside shot. You know, I shouldn't have taken it to the hole, you know? Yeah. And uh, so you always go back and live and learn. And like, you always think like, oh, I should have pushed for one more picture, one more setup. I could have, you know, I'm always trying to get 50 cent to take his shirt off. And he will never take his shirt off, you know, yeah. for me in a picture. I don't know if his, what his deal is, but that's like a picture that I never could get. But yeah, learning how to like, hear people listen to people you know I, i've done some stupid things like you know i'm on the call with an ad agency and they're pitching they're pitching an idea to me and, and they've been what i didn't realize at the time is they've been sitting around a table kicking around ideas and this is their best idea yeah for you months know? yeah so by the time they bring it to me it's it's sold the clients signed off on it and uh, so they come to me with this idea and the idea is like this little person standing 
at like the national anthem between two giant players and yeah. i'm like is this really the best idea you guys have and my rep is on the phone and a lot of times you're on a conference call with like half a dozen people and she's you know um g-chatting with me and she's like did you just say that you know and i, I knew that i blew that i blew that call so you know when people come to you with an idea, you want to fall in love with that idea, you yeah. know? And these, those are the biggest mistakes I made. You know, other things, like I was really stupid. I didn't do my homework on Fatboy Slim. It was just him and his publicist. They were at my loft at the time. And, uh, you know, I turned to his publicist. I said, you ready to shoot? And, you know, Fatboy Slim, from my periphery of my vision, says, yeah, I'm ready to go. Oh, man. And, um, yeah. you know, so what was my lesson? To do the research, you yeah. know, like, and just know who I'm working with and, and know what they're about a little bit. And, yeah. uh so yeah, I mean the lessons are written in blood. It's like skateboarding; you got to fall flat on your face. You exactly. Know? Yeah, I think you learn a lot from those mistakes, and the major thing is just to kind of pick yourself back up and keep going, and that's yeah. how you kind of keep progressing. And you never have to make certain mistakes twice, but you need to make every mistake. I yeah, mean, that's the only way to learn. Exactly. You know? um, like you were talking about with advertising. Uh, that work do you have a different approach to shooting advertising to editorial because i know advertising like you say there's so many more people a lot of more red tape like how do you approach those and like that that kind of take you a while to get used to shooting that type of work well you generally working a lot slower and i'm one shot in advertising so it's easier you know yeah I, it gets kind of boring in fact because it's micromanaged and uh you know i'm not a huge advertising shooter yeah you know i you know I, the work I've done for the music business is advertising it's album covers it's publicity it's you know stuff is everywhere and it advertises the artist but yep. like true advertising when you're working off a comp usually the picture's drawn or there's some sort of photoshop thing and you're just like it's you know Howard Schatz is the best thing he says you know um, they're the architects and you're the contractor you yep. just have to build their house yeah exactly and, and, and if there's time at the end of the day you try to give them another option you know but you like you're not there to like redesign the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then I guess like what kind of assignments do you enjoy the most? Is there like something, I guess looking at all the stuff you've done that kind of like, is it like this, the portraits or documentary or stuff or like when you kind of get a call, is there something that kind of piques your interest mm -hmm. a lot? You think? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I like that. It's always changing. Yeah. And it's not the same. You know, I really like photographing people in their personal space. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you get somebody in their house, it's a whole different show than when they come to a studio that they don't know. So, you know, um, you know, I shoot kid rock, I shot kid rock recently in his double wide trailer in Nashville. And, uh, he's just very relaxed. And then like, in between shots, he rolls over to his house, checks his, yeah. you know, his email and, you know, has his, the food he wants to eat and then he rolls back and it was just so chill and yeah. uh so i dig that you know i i like an assignment that's really challenging when i have five minutes you know like recently i shot for espn i did some work on uh, the bellator fighters at madison square garden and they were coming right out of medical so they fought went to medical and then came to my set and i had like two minutes to shoot each place fighter so it was like you're waiting around for a long time yeah guy shows up and for some reason i well this guy tim from espn he wanted the work to be like throwback like ouija like old style photography like old fighting photography so i shot it with a view camera which made it really you know like when you're shooting a four by five and yeah they you're, get... <laughs> you're, you're close on somebody's face and you have like a centimeter focus and you got some twitchy fighter it was a good time and i i nailed that so i'm like you know give me five minutes 
I love five minutes photo shoots. Like to me, that sort of pressure on it is like I'm. I've been training for that. Yeah, for a long time. you're ready to yeah. go. Yeah. Like you know what to do. Yeah. Um. I know. I like looking at your work. I know you've shot a lot of music, but then a lot, a lot of your work, you've shot a lot of athletes and stuff. Um. Do you find there's like a different approach working with athletes versus musicians, or uh, can you find like different like characteristics? Do you think working? Yeah. With- well, I just like want to make everything badass, right? You know, like, and I think that's a, you know, or I want to make them look legendary, iconic. I want them to feel like a the photograph celebrates yeah their success and gravitas you know so th- to me there's very little difference you know the difference is sometimes yeah with sports people it's even less time and uh it's less time yeah you know and sometimes they're much taller than you which yeah is intimidating you know kevin garnett seven foot tall dude and like you know a couple more apple boxes right <laughs> yeah and, and like it's it's intimidating and then they got to listen to you so like very quickly you have to meet this dude and take control of him mm-hmm. and when i was saying to my friend like oh god you know i don't know what to do and he's like man you know these guys are so used to like a little dude yelling at them and telling them what to do their coaches have been like <laughs> they've done this a hundred times dudes. yeah yeah <laughs> their whole life so you know just don't show fear. Don't show fear. <laughs> Just put on your coach's voice and say, this is how we're going to run it, you know? And you're like, pivot. And you tell them to pivot and they get it, you know? like Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did it take you a while? Because, like, I mean, you shot everyone from Eminem to 50 Cent, uh, all, Paul Pierce, all types mm-hmm. of athletes. And did it take you a while to get used to working with, like, big personalities like that? And I, well, I'm a big personality. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're going to match me with any, you know, with any baller because that's just how, I, you know, I'm a pretty confident um, dude with a lot of swagger, you that's know right. what I mean, and I think that that's a good photo editor who's going to match the right person with the right person. For sure. You know? Like, how do you deal with those shoots where people? Obviously, I'm sure you run into it where they just don't really want to do anything. Like, how do you kind of work through those times? Um, I've been lucky that like uh, I've had very few disastrous shoots with people who have just been, um, you know, not conducive to my uh, direction. Okay. You know, like, I, I could say that, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and I have some disarming phrases that I use, you know, like, you know, I'm here for you, man. Yeah. You know, like, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here to make for, you, yeah. I'm here to make you look good. You know, like, what do you want to do? And, uh, or I'll say like, yo, man, I'm just trying to feed my family. Okay. You that's know, like, smart. That's the one that just it calms down any publicist and people just shift and they realize like, wait, we're, we're this guy's not man. a pain in the ass. He's like a family man and he's got people that, you know, need to eat and, you know, so I have some disarming phrases and I'm, you know, I'm, one thing that helps me, I think, is the body of work too. It's like, before I photograph somebody, I'm going to show them a little book. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to show them some stuff on my phone. If it's somebody I'm photographing them again, I'm going to bring them a pile of prints. That's smart. Right? Um, I'm going to do something that I'm going to get them to talk about their kids. Or, you know, I'm going to disarm them. It's like a portrait session is like a dance, yep. you know, it's like this weird dance you got to do with somebody and, uh, and you got to be kind of, kind of leading it, you know, and then like you let them improvise a little bit, you lead it. Maybe they got to go through their little shtick of stupid faces that they make for the camera when they yeah. are posing and, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I guess like and I, one thing I wanted to ask is this like I know you shot like a lot of work for like Kid Rock how you said like how did that kind of evolve because it seems like you've had like a pretty long working relationship yeah. with him how did that mm-hmm. kind of start and then also like looking at all the work you've done with him do you feel like it's gotten better over time since you've probably gotten to know him better yeah um 
Well, Kid Rock, I met right after he did the Woodstock show and everybody threw the water bottle at him and stuff. And uh, he was really just starting to like arc and blow up. I saw him on TV when I was in Europe once. And, mm-hmm. you know, he had the he had the little hype man midget with him. And I was like, what is this? You know, like, this is crazy. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, I shot him for a magazine. And, I, and one thing I... I work quick, you know. So when you take a guy and you can you can get him done in a half hour, forty five minutes, and you're like, all right, man, you can bounce. Yeah. And they appreciate that. So yeah. I shot him for this um, Guitar World magazine and uh, in Detroit, and then uh, and I was friendly with his publicist. His publicist was was um, married to a photographer that was the same agency as mine. So there were kind of a connection there. And she, she told me what to expect. I'll get him to take his shirt off, all the sort of things a publicist would say and be mindful of this and that. And uh, so then that same dude, Larry Freeman from Atlantic, you know, he saw the shots and was like, yeah, I think he would be great for Kid Rock. And, you know, one thing I, I just continued to be mindful of his time. And the longer I work with him, even the more mindful I am because he's even more over it now. So I just try to get it done, give him as much as possible. Yeah. So he doesn't have to do photo shoots. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I've worked with him for 20 years. Are we friends? I don't, I don't, wouldn't say that, you yeah. know, we, we don't, we don't chop it up. I don't yeah. hang out. I do my job. I leave. I don't try to go to dinner with him. You know, yeah. I did photograph one of his weddings to Pam, but like, you know, we're not bros. And I think he likes that about me, that I'm not trying to get at him with some shit. You exactly. Because so many people are asking him for shit. It's just like... Yeah. Will well, you wear this sweatshirt? Will you do this? Yeah. You know, will you do that? It's yeah. Like, I'm here to do my job. Get in, get out. And that's, that's why they keep calling you. Yeah. And keep good boundaries. You know, like... Yeah. You know, like, relationships are about two things, you know, stating your needs and setting boundaries, you mm-hmm. know? And like, I know what he needs and I just keep it professional and I'm out, you know? Yeah. That's smart. But like more successful photographers like me than like Ross Halfin has been working with Metallica for many, many years. Like he's down with them. Yeah. He's, you friends. know, yeah. he's like a part of that band. And, uh, so I don't think like my model is the best model. It's just the way I approach this one guy. There yeah. are other, there are other bands I have much different relationships. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I guess looking back at your career, like everything you've done, cause you've shot so much, are there any shoots that kind of kind of like near and dear to your heart? Like you look back that are like, well, oh, that was one that's real special. And I kind of think back that that was like a really amazing experience or time. Yeah, well, I photographed this motorcycle builder from uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn named Indian Larry. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had been a lot of success on the, uh, I guess it was the Discovery Channel was running the bikers build off. And it was like him and Jesse James and all those guys are building bikes and people were loving it. And it was like this blue collar hero. And uh, I'd met this dude, Eddie Adams, and I went to his workshop. Wow. And I was a uh, you know, team leader up there, and I got into photojournalism, storytelling. And, uh, and I thought, like, who do I know that's doing something amazing? And it was this guy, Andy Larry, and he was just down the block from me in Williamsburg. And, and I thought, you know, this guy's like the Michelangelo of motorcycles. I got to get with him. And I asked him, and he had every reason in the world to blow me off, you know, and... Uh, um, Timothy White, who's a huge photographer, was working with him, and uh, you know, but he he said yes, and I ended up photographing him, making this bike called the Chain of Mystery, and then following him to North Carolina, uh, where he would uh, be juried, the public would jury the winner of the bike, and uh, and he won that 
build off but he actually while he was doing a stunt he fell off his bike and died so i photographed this like real brooklyn hero at the height of his career making the last bike he ever made you know and like at the time i, I didn't know what the hell was going on. i was just taking some pictures and i was actually approaching it much different like like a fly on the wall i have pictures of him like writing a check i have pictures of wow. him you know just talking to some people he works with like just day in the life kind of stuff I have a picture of him the night before he died with his, with his wife named Bambi, and he's just looking at her and he's laughing and he's smiling because I wanted to show that he was in love. You know, pictures that I would never have taken, but because I was just just looking at this guy and witnessing him. Usually, I'm like, stand here, look at me this way, and I'm a picture maker. Yeah. But in this instance, I was a picture taker and uh, just doing it. wasn't even a long term story. It was like two months, you know, and. So those are probably the most important pictures I've taken, you know. Of course, my parents aren't here, and some pictures of them are really dear to me, you mm -hmm. know. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, and, you know, I have this other picture of my friend Paul Cox. He's yep. surfing on a motorcycle, and uh, to me it feels like my London Calling, you know. Like, London Calling is my favorite album cover of all time. And, yeah. Uh, um, so it's like it's just this loud crazy fearless picture that is about taking risks and living on the edge and just yeah. being radical you know that's awesome and then i know you mentioned how you said you were at the eddie adams workshop which is a really famous workshop i didn't go to it but w w so you were teaching at the workshop yeah i met eddie um sort of just a few years before he died and mm -hmm. uh i don't know he took a shine to me and uh i guess you know his wife tells me that he said that I reminded of a younger version of himself, which is a pretty high compliment oh, yeah. because he was a real fuck the world kind of guy, yeah. you know, and, um, and, you know, his picture in Vietnam changed the way people thought about our involvement there. So he's a real, you know, and he said some great things like the camera's the most powerful weapon, you know, which I love. And, yeah. Uh, and so I met him, I was even in part of his documentary talking about him. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he just, you know, he was an amazing guy because he started this workshop and it's been in business now in over 30 years and 100 photographers come up there and he helps accelerate their career by introducing them to photo editors and um, creative people and agencies. And, yep. you know, uh, I encourage everybody, you know, if you're in school to apply and you're a couple years out of school, apply. It's like, yeah, it seems pretty amazing. It's the most mind blowing thing. So, yeah, I was a team leader up there many years and, um, you know incredible people like had like, you been teaching at all before that yeah i taught at sva before then but it was like location lighting it wasn't storytelling it wasn't photojournalism okay you know? i knew nothing about that i knew nothing about the ethics of yep. photojournalism that you couldn't move a can out of a picture that you couldn't you know um stylize it yeah, yeah ask somebody to do something again you know yeah. like yeah so when i was first up there i was giving some people some pretty whack advice oh. you know and then very quickly i kind of got schooled you know on like what you know which to me like how would i've been practicing photography for probably yeah 15 years and i didn't know some of these things you know that's cool that's why it's an awesome experience you get around people that do something different you learn something from them um and also like multimedia storytelling and video like this guy Brian Storm from Media Storm was up there, and he was, uh, you know, just making this killer content. So I got really quickly on that. I was like way ahead of the curve on DSLR filmmaking and mm. and creating like content on multi many platforms. When I was like working for a client, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna make a behind the scenes video. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do a little interview at the end of it, and we're gonna cut it to this. So I was like ahead of the curve on that, but it was almost like 
I was too soon on it. And then the people who were on it second and third kind of got more traction than I did. But I still made some cool. My, my Tracy Morgan piece that's on my website is amazing. Yeah, I, was, I looked at that the other night. Like, what was it like working with that guy? He is great, but I made such a filthy. It was like an electronic press kit for his book. Okay. And I made such a filthy version of it that when I gave it to the book publisher, they're like, this is awesome, but we can't use any of this. Because uh, he's literally talking about some... Yeah. The filthy Tracy stuff. Morgan. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he was great. You know, uh, I wanted to do a lot of things that he kind of said he would do but didn't i wanted to go back to the hood where he's from i wanted to go to 125th street and shoot him in front of the comedy clubs Mm -hmm. but the day got cut short and uh but he was he's funny and a good time and and you know he didn't want to do some things like i put him in a steve martin white suit with bunny ears you know and um because i wanted to pay homage to saturday night live and he didn't want to do it but then we talked him into it so he was yeah it was cool you know that's pretty. So you kind of push for it. Is, is that something you do? You yeah. do that a lot, or you kind of like yeah. feel it out a little bit? I'm gonna. I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable, but I, I try to assure them, like, 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 hey, look, like, let's do this. If you don't like it, we'll show you. Just explain it a little more. Yeah, like maybe just see it. Yeah, like, we'll take some pictures like this. And, yeah. Uh, and if you're not feeling it, you know, you don't have to use them. They're your. It's your photo shoot, man. Yeah, definitely. You know? And then another thing I want to talk to you about is this. Like, I know you're, you you mentioned you taught at SVA for like ten years. And now you're up here at RIT, where I went to school. And uh, what about teaching? Do you enjoy? And is it something that like kind of took you a while to get used to, or uh, do you have like an approach to it? How, how do you kind of view teaching photography? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely feel like there was a time. You know, when you've been doing something for you know twenty five, thirty years, it's like you hit these plateaus or these walls, or you know, you just tank out and you're like this doesn't make sense anymore but like what makes sense is trying to bring my experience into the classroom and and teach with it you know and 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 give it to somebody else and make them make them better and more more qualified for this it's a very different world now photography you know and and to try to get people up to speed on that is um is huge so you know I felt like I was burning the candle at both ends. Certainly when I was in grad school, I was shooting and I was teaching. I was burning the candle at both ends. And then I decided I was going to put one of those ends out and light some other candles, you know? So to me, that's my intention. I go to a classroom and I like literally paint this picture of me setting all these kids' heads on fire with inspiration. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I'm more like a blacksmith. It's like, and they're the steel. So I'm going to take them and I'm going to hammer them on the anvil and I'm going to throw them in the fire and I'm going to stick them in the snow like Conan shit, you know, like yep. I'm going to, I'm hard, yeah. you know, I, I'm accused of many things. Um, you know, my evaluations were pretty rough last year. I mean, people, <laughs> people saying I'm cruel and inconsiderate and, yeah. you know, I'm not, I mean, that's tough love. That to me is like a much harder space to hold than me just telling everybody they're great and talented and, and patting them on the back. So yeah. I'm going to push people and um, I'm going to challenge people and if they're good. And that's what my best teachers did to me. Mm-hmm. So in my life, you know, I have worked with a lot of rock stars. But in my mind, the real rock stars are the people who taught me because they're still teaching me. They're still in my life or they're still in my head. There's still like a German phrase called earworm where something just burrows in your brain and keeps burrowing. So that's what a professor and teacher is, you know, so... And, and like to see some of my kids now, you know, really successful, like, like making movies, a couple of them, you know, Jessica DeMock and wow. Chris LaMarca, they made this movie called The Pearl. Yep. I met them both at Eddie Adams workshop. I introduced them to each other. 
yeah. that came from, you know, they're both from ICP, but incredible photojournalists. You know, she's rep by seven. He's been doing all this work on the environment and they made this work about people who are transitioning. And um, yeah, it's won a lot of awards. They've been working so hard on it. So to see, you know, their success is, it's so much more worthwhile than just seeing another stupid picture of mine on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. And I would imagine being like a professor, like at a photography school, this being around people that they're obviously they're young they're like in their early twenties and they are this really like on fire, like are excited about it still like, cause there's, it's all new to them. I would imagine that's can be probably inspiring. You think sometimes just being around that environment. Sure. Yeah. I'm, Passion, you know, I like passion, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I like to see a passionate uh, young artist, and it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting to be around that, for sure. Um, and a couple more questions, I'll let you go. Um, with, like, social media and Instagram nowadays, do you feel like that's, like, an important thing photographers should be utilizing? Like, what's your kind of takeaway with it? Yeah, I love Instagram. I mean, follow me on Instagram, Clay Patrick McBride. Um, on Instagram, yep. so uh, Clay underscore Patrick underscore McBride. So I, I love Instagram. To me, it's like such a great way to stay connected to so many people. Having left New York, yep. I still see my friends daily. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm still in touch with their lives and uh, and visually, and, and that's exciting. And uh, I'm not a big fan on all this writing underneath pictures that these millennials seem to like to think it's all a diary and they need to put it all out there. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of people who aren't who they are on social media. Like, I'm 100% authentic, no mm -hmm. bullshit. I mean, you look at my Facebook and my Instagram, and if I'm in a picture, I'm going to be yelling at you or, you know, giving you the finger or making a weird face because I'm that guy. I'm outrageous, you know. Um, so I love seeing all the work. I love seeing stories. I love seeing behind-the-scenes stuff. I like yeah. Art Schreiber's Instagram is insane with how he lights it and stuff. How he lights it and breaks it down for you. Yeah. And... You know, there's a lot of noise. So trying to create something that's like separate from the noise is, is powerful. You know, today I posted 10 old Polaroids that like... Bricks. You call, you them, know, bricks. I call them bricks. I, I saw the bricks, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to just stack them up and, yeah. uh, and then shout out all the strange and random people in those pictures. And, uh, yeah. you know, uh, so I love social media. Like, is it necessary? Yeah, I think it is. You know, like when I post a picture, people don't realize I didn't just shoot it. They all think it's, if it's not hashtag later gram or some yeah. shit. Like people think I just, they think I'm as busy as hell. Yeah. You know, because I have so <laughs> many pictures the world hasn't seen. And it's like, it's more forgiving than a portfolio or a website because you could just throw up stuff. It's like a know? sketchbook. Yeah. And, uh, and to just be um, that connected to so many people, it's almost like, I don't understand it. It feels like it's a part of my nervous system now. Like I have to be. A part of that. I was you saying, know? you stay on top of it. Your story, you go hard on it. And I was like, man, I just like, I like zone out during the day. I'm like, damn, I can't remember to post that. Much. So it's like really cool. I'm like, what's Clay up to? It's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> my wife, you know, she's an incredible source of inspiration. Yeah. You know? She uh, is an illustrator and she's very much, you know, she's younger than me and she's very into Instagram, has been for a long time. Yeah. Since the jump off. In fact, I have this picture of her that I like to say is the first picture ever posted on Instagram. Like, I wonder where that picture is. I want, like, if it will be in a museum someday, like the first picture ever posted on Instagram, what was that picture? Like, yeah. like, um, so yeah, I do hate it when you send somebody a picture and then they post it and put a filter on it. I think, Oh, that's, that's brutal. That's it's unethical. A, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that. You yeah. Know? 
And I, you know, I don't like that people jack my shit and don't credit me. I think that's just whack. You know, like Complex Magazine and certain people with millions of followers just, you know, to feel entitled to. Oh yeah. Like my sweat, blood, tears that I've been grinding all my life. I think they just throw it up there and make themselves look cooler. And uh, yep. You know, they just think like yeah, that happened to me. Like Red Bull, I had a photo of like my friend was like a professional skateboarder, and they just jacked it off my Instagram. Didn't even ask, post it. Like like I was just gonna be so excited. It's like. At least have the decency to reach out, man. Like you're like a gigantic corporation. Yeah. Like send the email. It's not that hard. I just want to get a lawyer on retainer. Seriously, yeah, just, 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 just you know, <laughs> that's like just faxes his pistol permit to everybody. Seriously, you know? it's like you and you would think of like big companies like that, complex and stuff. They would understand, like, but I guess not. It's not right, man. I mean, you know, one like let's just talk about mistakes again. So um, yeah. I guess this Mr. Brainwash took one of my pictures and uh, yeah. took a Rick Ross picture and he made like a remix album and, you know, basically it was my photograph of Rick yeah. Ross with his finger to his head like he was shooting himself. And mm. uh, and he did his, you know, Mr. Brainwash thing to it and then it was an album and uh, so I posted it on Instagram and I ranted, you know, I did one of these things yeah. where I was like, isn't anybody a Def Jam, like an artist, don't they have any respect, like couldn't they give me any credit and... And uh, very quickly, I got a call from my agent who was like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what are you doing here? So, um, you know, we need to be mindful because it's uh, to have an audience is a powerful thing. You yeah. Know, like when I was got out of art school, it's like I just had this box of prints and I want somebody to look at them. Mm-hmm. You know, now maybe we take for granted that you can develop an audience. Yeah. And you can you have you can say something to that audience, you know. So, yeah, that's a very amazing thing that uh I guess some, you almost got to take a step back before you're going to say something. Yeah, really, next I time have, you feel that emotion, it's like, wait, let me take a second. Yeah, <laughs> let, well, let me wait 10 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tough. You, sometimes you got to burn bridges to light the way, right? So, yep. like, you know, I don't know. I have worked for them recently, but it's been years. And uh, and that was not a smart thing to do. Yeah. You know, uh, so. But like you said, I think that's why people are attracted to what you do because you're honest and you, like you said, like well, everything that's on your instagram and websites is honest like it's like you you're you're not like trying to fool anyone that you're something that you're not yeah so. it's like your strength is your weakness though sometimes exactly you know I and mean? like yeah like you can be brutally honest but the words brutal and honest really shouldn't go together you know like yeah. like brutal honesty is yeah is sometimes self-serving you definitely know? so yeah i need to be mindful in fact like when i go to the classroom i ask myself that i may be mindful in my speech that's one of the mantras i try to use because yeah you know a young artist needs warmth and honey and yep. you know needs to be coddled a little bit yeah. i just can't be this know your audience soul crushing viking that just hammers them into the ground yeah but i guess just to wrap up like uh, looking back at everything you've done um what do you think the key to like your longevity in this business is and do you think there are like any like common characteristics of like a successful photographer because i mean this business as you know is like it's, there's a lot of ups and downs peaks and valleys and what kind of keeps you going and what do you think the key to like your success has been yeah right on alex can you can you read that tattoo on my head there okay. <laughs> no, no, i would say perseverance there you go <laughs> okay so perseverance is key i think like that quality alone you know because like the world's going to tell you you don't matter you're not good enough or that your yep. shit sucks or you know they're going to tell you you know i've had people straight up tell me they never hire me yeah and then <laughs> years later i work for them so yeah that's... you know like you have to persevere a lot of shit and you have to like sacrifice a lot of stuff, you know, like, uh, yep. sometimes everyone's going out to do their thing or, you know, you're supposed to be the 
in a bridal party or somebody's wedding and, and uh, you know and like you get a call for a job you know what are you gonna do yeah. what are you gonna do yes yeah, you know like so sacrifice is huge you know um i think perseverance is huge i think embracing change is huge i think the photographers that stay around are the ones that embrace new technologies and the ones that don't disappear yeah you know um I've been resistant, you know, when things went to digital, I was like that guy in the cave who didn't know the war was over, hanging out with the bayonet and, yeah. you know, like guarding the cave and, and that didn't work out too well for me. So, um, so you got to embrace stuff, you know? Um, and I think more than anything, you, you, uh, you need people around you who, um, who are like cheerleaders, you know, like champions. I still have many great mentors. You know, this guy, Bill Hunt, who's an art collector in New York. Oh, yeah. A hero of mine, you know, and, and I met with him recently. And, uh, you know, my old teacher, Stephen Fraley, who's the chair of SVA, is a real champion of my art. And uh, recently I got this guy, David Turner, a job here at RIT. And, um, you got some real killers over at RIT right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, staff it up a little bit differently. Yeah. And, uh get my my mafia in place you know <laughs> um get all my capos in check there so you, you need people around you and you know you need just need to uh sometimes just let go of like the results and and let quantity take care of quality you know just keep making stuff and mm -hmm. judge it later you know let let history just stick it on you know yep. stick it on a hard drive and look at it you know in four months and see what you think about it definitely and then this my last question um i guess going forward do you have any kind of goals for your own work or anything else that's kind of even for this year or in the future yeah i'm about to um my, i teach a portfolio development class this semester and i i always have to make a self-published book so i'm going to make a new book it's going to be 100 percent like um you know i am very attached to this time period that i promote my website and in my brand and uh I'm going to let go of it and kind of be where I am, you know, and uh, and show what I've shot lately. And some weird things I've shot, like Wendell Castle and people oh, really wow. responding to this that... work that's just, to me, seems very pedestrian. But I think people are excited about it because it's new stuff and it's uh, maybe a more matured vision that I'm not aware of. So yep. I'm going to make that book. Um, I always dream of uh, the screenplay I've been writing about me and my father's relationship and and I would like to make an abstract. I've been shooting with the Kodak's new Super 8 camera. I'd love to just uh, make a little abstract scene from this movie, a little stream of consciousness part of this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and uh, work on my reel. I have just directed three commercials for Oxygen Network that oh, were nice. uh, on true crime. And, and so I want to create a whole bunch of new content around that. And uh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Clay, for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, like I said, because I went to RIT where you're teaching now, and uh, when I found out you're teaching, I was like, "Oh shit, they got Clay Breezy over there." <laughs> I was like, "I was like, I gotta get him on the line." So, man, I really, I really appreciate you sitting down with me this because I've I've been a fan of your work for years. All the stuff you've done, hip hop and whatnot, and it was really a real pleasure to talk to you. And I guess uh, for people that want to look at your work, where's the best place to check it out? Um, people like to go to the Instagram, but my website, uh, you know, claypatrickmcbride.com or claypatrickmcbride on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, you can check me out there. Um, I also have a faculty page at RIT where you can see a lot of my students' work. Perfect. Well, I'll link it on here, claypatrickmcbride.com. Go check it out. And thanks so much, Clay. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, definitely. 
So there you have it. That was the Clay Patrick McBride interview. I want to thank Clay so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure getting to speak with him. I've been a fan of his work for years, so it was really awesome to get to hear a bit about his backstory. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, If you liked it, definitely go check out Clay's website at claypatrickmcbride.com and also his Instagram, claypatrickmcbride. And uh, yeah, going forward, just want to let you know I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as I'll be linking them on my website at alexgagnephoto.com and as well as on my Instagram at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening and take care.